I usually preach from a, um, one of these stands, but it can't hold a heavy Bible like that. And so I moved this piece of furniture in, and I, now I feel a little bit more like a preacher. <laughs> um, good evening, everybody, and welcome. Uh, again, this, we're in the middle of our series, actually at the end of our series on 2nd and 3rd John. Uh, you can feel free to open up your Bible, uh, but it's also printed out for you in the service folder. Uh, open your Bible apps up if you'd like to take notes and look on your phone at the text. Uh, everything's up on the screen as well. If you're a visual learner, we have notes that you can um, fill in as you go about listening to the sermon too. This month since 1976 has been celebrated by every U.S. president recognized as what? Do you know what we're celebrating this month? What it's branded? It is Black History Month. Yeah. And it's this month that uh, we, we celebrate the achievements and the, the, um, the great contributions of the African-American community and individuals uh, that have made this nation the greatest nation on earth. Uh, the list of famous and influential and inspiring black people in our nation include Barack Obama and Harriet Tubman and George Washington Carver. Can you think of any? W.B. Duat? Duat? Sorry, I didn't say it right. <laughs> Anybody else? I didn't think of that one. <laughs> Duke Ellington. Thank you. Jackie Robinson. Any other names out there that you can think of that inspire you? Who? Okay, I was getting to him. I was leaving him out because he's my illustration, but Mary Kay got it. There it is. MLK Jr. In our church, we talk a lot about Martin Luther, the 16th century reformer. But did you know that, uh, that this man's family name actually was named after that reformer in the 16th century? It said something about him because he was actually a Christian, and you know his occupation? He was a what? A pastor, a minister, a Baptist minister. And so he's one of my favorites because he's a preacher. And, uh, and, I, and I look up to him because he was very influential. I'm just like him, very influential in black. No, I'm, he's, he, 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 he had an amazing message that changed the landscape of America. But the thing that we often forget about Martin Luther King Jr., we talk a lot about the civil advances that he made, but did you know that his Christian faith, his faith in God, was actually the impetus and the cornerstone of the civil revolution that he believed so deeply and he spoke so eloquently about. In fact, in his 1963 letter from Birmingham prison, he quoted, Aris, uh, I'm sorry, he quoted Augustine and Thomas Aquinas, two Christian, early, early church history Christian thinkers, and he made the point that if, if there's any law that's worth fighting for, any human law, it needs to be derived from, it needs to have its cornerstone in divine law, eternal law, moral law. And if he didn't have that understanding of God made us all in his image and he redeemed us all in his image, two things that Martin Luther King Jr. believed, then he wouldn't have taken up this cause. And he did it how? He did it very peacefully, another law from God that he believed very deeply in, which makes his message resonate with so many people today, even non-believers. But it goes to show how how, how a man's Christian faith can go so far. And so take a moment and appreciate that as a Christian and as one that says God has died for all people, regardless of your age, regardless of your gender, regardless of your skin color, your social status, your pedigree. 
This is what came out of that. Now, I mention that because last week, Sunday, we heard Martin Luther King Jr.'s voice. Who watched the Super Bowl last week? Raise your hands. You weren't in evening service? What are you talking about? You, you probably made it back in time, maybe for the second half, and you heard the commercial. What commercial am I talking about? Does anybody remember? His voice was dubbed over it. It was a commercial for Ram Trucks. And it showed red-blooded Americans that were going to work and they were helping each other out and there was rain pouring down and the ram trucks going through the mud and splashing up things and, and over the top of it, the voice of Martin Luther King Jr. And he was preaching, uh, actually a recording of a sermon from 1968 that says this. It says, uh, if you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's a new definition of greatness. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love, and you can be that servant. This comes from a sermon that he preached called The Drum Major Instinct. And it caused, this, this commercial last week caused quite a stir on Twitter at least, and maybe in the news feeds that you get, because in this very same uh, sermon that he says these words, he actually condemns car commercials. And I, and I was so curious to read this as a preacher, I, and, and I said, wow, he was condemning carb commercials in the same sermon he was preaching about greatness, and I had to go to the sermon myself, and so I clicked on the link on Twitter, and sure enough, you can pull it up on Google if you want to read it. The sermon is 10 pages long, and sure enough, I found the place. He condemns car commercials, but he's making a point in the sermon. He's making a point, and it sounds eerily like he's preaching to me today. And he's saying, you people are acting like you're the greatest people on earth. You're out in front of the band, the drum major instinct, kicking up your arms and your legs, and you're making a big show of things. You're buying cars that you can't afford. You're drinking whiskey because the commercials tell you if you drink this kind of whiskey, it's going to make you that kind of man. And you're buying homes. This is the most interesting one. You're buying homes you can't afford. I'm looking at the homes that some of you people are buying, and you can't afford half of that home. So he's condemning commercialism in America. So that's the side note, but that's what Twitter was all about this week. But what was really interesting about this sermon, and I found interesting myself as a preacher, was that his main point, his main point came from Mark chapter 10, the gospel that he was preaching on, where James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, John is the same John that wrote 3rd John that we're looking into tonight. They come to Jesus and they ask Jesus, can we have a spot at your right hand and at your left hand when the kingdom of God comes into its glory? And Jesus replies to them and he says, you don't know what you're asking to sit at my right hand and sit at my left hand? That First of all, that's what like the pagans and the worldly people think of, being first. In Martin Luther King Jr.'s sermon, he said the drum major instinct, Right? But Jesus says this, he says, when you come into my kingdom and you are under my love and you're under my care, he says, it actually means that you put yourself last. In other words, you have to learn how to follow before you can become great. Uh, He spoke about that later on in his sermon about how Jesus, although he was great, he came to earth and gave his life. But tonight, I want to preach to you from 3 John. In 3 John, you have that same John who went to Jesus asking to be the drum major instinct, right? Getting out in front of people, the spot at the right and the left. 
And he has witnessed Jesus' ministry. He's witnessed his death. He's witnessed his resurrection. He's seen Jesus go into heaven. And he has been commissioned by Jesus to be an apostle. Does anybody know what it means, the word apostle means? It means what? I see some people thinking out there. It means one who's sent out. One who's sent out. And John is sent out to be a missionary into the areas of, uh, well, modern-day Turkey. Later in life, he did his ministry around Ephesus, and he calls himself at the beginning of the letter an elder. An elder was one who had authority over the churches. And so he's one that has spoken the word of God. He sees Jesus. He's seen his ministry. And now he writes a letter later in life, and he writes to a man named Gaius. And this Gaius is a church leader himself. John commends Gaius for the great things that he's doing in his ministry. And the great things he's doing in his ministry are really menial things. They're welcoming missionaries into his home, welcoming the apostles into his home. Gaius has shown extreme hospitality to God's messengers. In God's Old Testament, about, there's about four instances at least where God says one of the hallmarks of a believer is that they welcome God's prophets into their homes and they take care of them. And in the New Testament, there's at least six times that, that it mentions that hospitality, taking care of people's uh, food, water, lodging, in some instances taking care of the missionaries' uh, travel costs, and also sending out the missionary with a travel companion. Those were all part of hospitality and all things that a believer would naturally do. John says to Gaius, you're doing a great job at that. Continue to do that because as you do that, as you help out the missionaries, as they come into your home, they do mission work in your city and then they go on, you are at work with them for the kingdom of God. You are actively participating in the mission work that they do and in the spread of the gospel. That's what's so important about this section because as good as Gaius is, there's this other guy at a congregation maybe nearby, uh, but he was a leader of the church, and his name was Diophanes. And he is the drum major instinct out in front of everybody else, leaving everybody else behind. And uh, that's where we pick up John, uh, 3 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, I wrote something to the church. That something is like a letter that we've lost today in history. We don't have it. It's not in the Bible. But Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. The love of being first leaves God's mission behind. There are a couple things there in that, in that verse that you caught about Diotrephes and about his character. What do you learn first about him? What does he really love? He loves to be first. Now, who doesn't love to be first? Um, but Diotrephes loves to be first, but as you see, it's at the detriment of everything that John was trying to accomplish, the spread of the gospel. In other words, we're going to see here that he has this egotistic attitude that says, me first, even above everything else, even above John, and that's why he says next that uh, he'll have nothing to do with us. Who is the, thus, the us here? The us are the apostles. John and the other disciples had a unique experience with Jesus himself 
talking with him, looking uh, at all of the miracles that he had done. And so when they spoke the word of God and they were sent out by Jesus, they were like the authority of the Bible today. They didn't have Bibles like we have Bibles today with a complete New Testament. And so when an apostle came into your town, you would have him stand up and speak, and he would speak the very words of God. Now, Diotrephes had gotten so far ahead in his church that he was even saying no to the apostles. And that's like saying no to God's word. He, wasn't, uh, he, he was ignoring them. And when they asked for an audience with him, he said no. In fact, uh, he had nothing to do with them. And it, it just destroyed this church uh, because it, it, he goes on, he says, not only do they have nothing to do with us, but they gossip, or this, this man, Diotrephes, gossips maliciously. He is publicly slandering the name of John and publicly slandering, therefore, the word of God. And he's saying, you have nothing to do with these men. These men, these men have nothing good for you. And, 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 they, and he, he didn't speak well of John or any of the missionaries that came his way. He gossiped maliciously and not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. And right there you have hospitality thrown, thrown away. Uh, like I said before, Old Testament, New Testament, God says hospitality to God's messengers and his prophets, that's taken for granted. Um, Jesus says when he sends out the 72, if people don't welcome you into your, their town, wipe off the dust from their feet, from your feet as you leave. And here you have diatrophies, not welcoming the brothers, not providing them food, not providing them drink, or any kind of support in the ministry that's going forward. And finally, not only does he do not welcome the brothers, but he throws people out of the church who don't agree with him. Wow. That's called weaponizing the gospel. Taking something called excommunication, which is actually a Christian and biblical principle that is good, that's used to warn a Christian and a believer who's fallen into sin about the seriousness of their sin, to bring them back in repentance and restore them again. He's using excommunication, this, this power and this authority, to kick people out of church if they don't like the same things that he likes, if they welcome the apostles, if they welcome these missionaries. You can see how destructive this attitude is. He has an attitude that's a me-first attitude. In other words, he's turned, Diotrephes has turned his church into a church all about what? Himself, Diotrephes. Now, it's easy for us to look at this and say, yeah, that Theotrephes, he's a bad dude. John, get him. Go nuke him. But do you believe that you and I have acted like a Diotrephes before? Jeff Foxworthy, he was the one that coined the, um, the term, you might be a redneck if, right? I have a game. You want to play? <laughs> it's called, you might be a Diotrephes. You might be a diatrophies if you've weaponized the gospel. You've taken something that's very good and you've made it into something that alienates people. It's the veteran Christian, maybe it's the very mature Christian that has uh, years of years of going through gospel battles and knowledge and, and has, has this really sanctified life that's cleaned up looking at another Christian who's new or another Christian who maybe struggles with sanctification, with living right. And maybe you don't excommunicate them from the church, but you're going to keep your hand and you're going to keep your distance because they're not really as Christian as you. 
weaponizing the gospel. Taking something that God says is good to strive after, a godly life, and making it into something that divides the church. There's no grace there. If you've done that in your heart or your mind, you might be a diatrophies. You've lost the focus of grace. Number two, alienating others. You heard that diatrophies left people out of his life. He left the apostles and the word of God out of his life. Um, Have you perhaps alienated other people? Maybe because of cultural differences, like they don't belong in church. Or maybe because of a history of sin in their life. Or maybe because they don't agree with you about the color of the carpet at the church. (laughs) Or whatever it is. You've made church all about diatrophies. You've lost focus of grace. Next one. Gossip. Oh boy. Do I need to say more? (laughs) It becomes so easy, especially because I'm a human leader. And there are other human leaders that are around you, and maybe they've confronted you at a bad time uh, on one of their worst days, and they didn't say it just right. And, and you say, well, pastor, you, you didn't have the right attitude when you said that. And I have to admit, maybe I didn't have the right attitude when I said that. And John wasn't perfect, and neither are these missionaries. But when God has put spiritual leaders into your life, and you know that they're not perfect, and you know that they too have bad days, you can put an end to that by not gossiping about it. And whether it's on Facebook or whether it's in person, if the name of your leaders or the name of the missionaries that fill these pews, which are you, are gossiped about, you have an opportunity to stop that gossip by not participating in it. And when you do that, this is the whole kind of spirit of Third John, you're actually participating in, you're participating in the spread of the Word of God because you're shedding a good light on the messengers who are forgiven too. If you've fallen into gossip, you may be a diatrophies. If you, next one, avoid or disrespect the leaders of your church or the spiritual leaders that are in your life, moms and dads and, and connect group leaders or whoever they are, very often I'll find that I haven't seen somebody for a very long time. And trust me, there are many, many reasons why I don't see somebody for a long time. But sometimes it can be that that person has fallen into sin and they're too embarrassed or they're too Um, They're afraid of being offended by talking to a pastor. If you have fallen into sin and you're listening to this over the airwaves and you're afraid of approaching a pastor because you're afraid that the pastor is going to um, reveal that sin, don't be. Don't avoid the pastor. Don't avoid the spiritual leader. That spiritual leader comes to you in love. But if you have... It's time to recognize that you can be a diatrophies if you're avoiding your spiritual leaders. And finally, the last one, the me-first mentality. We talked about this, and it, it really starts at the top. It's, it's whether I'm making my church all about me or whether the church is all about, well, the other option that we're going to look into in just a second. You might be a diatrophies if you've done any of the above. And really, it's destructive to the church and it's destructive to the world that looks at the church and sees the church and um, sees, wow, they can't even get along themselves. There's a diatrophies in the church, and it's sin. And the wages of sin is death. So, the love of first leaves God's mission behind. Um, you've seen, I didn't get past number one when I first did this, wrote this quiz up this week. And, and I, I'm, I'm in need of God's grace just from pulpit to pew and everywhere in between. 
What I found the most interesting thing about these verses is not all the law that we just hammered on. But I found interesting, and some commentators will say this, is that John does not return fire for fire. Now, if I was John, I would say, Diotrephes, I'm an apostle, I'm called by Jesus, and I'm going to nuke you. You're out of the church. Get out of here. You're not a leader anymore. But what does John say instead? He says, no, I'm not going to nuke you. I am going to come to you. He says this. Let's read it in red together. I will call attention to what he is doing. In other words, John says, I'm going to insert myself into this situation because John doesn't want just justice to win. He wants something far greater than justice to win. He wants grace to live in the church and he wants it to start with Diotrephes. He wants to call him back into grace by asking him to repent of his sins and he wants to win Diotrephes over so that everybody wins and he sees Diotrephes in heaven as well. He says that he's coming to call attention back to it and I got to tell you if I had somebody that was not welcoming me that was slandering my name that was doing all of this I would not have that kind of attitude and I wonder where John gets it from and I'll tell you where he gets it from. He gets it from the cross. It was at the cross when John was the only recorded disciple, the male disciple that was there, that he heard the crowds crying for the blood. And he knew that although Jesus was hospitable and kind and gave food and water and healed people and raised people from the dead, he was everything that John is talking about, the good things that we should do in church, but he did it perfectly. And then when the people said, crucify him, crucify him, John heard that and he had to think to himself, how unjust is that? That my friend who hasn't done anything wrong but has only healed people is being put on a cross. And then he heard the hammer hitting the nails through the hands and the screams that came from this innocent man. And this man put up on a cross suspended between heaven and earth to slowly suffocate to death. He heard from the cross Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Have you ever thought about that? He's forgiving the very people who are putting him to death. And he's holding out hope, just like John is holding out hope for Diotrephes. That the person that persecutes you, that the person that slanders you, that the person that drags your name through the mud and is the person that is really taking away from the mission of Christ is actually the person that Jesus died for. You might be a diatrophies if, but with the cross, you are a diatrophies who is forgiven and who is a saint because he took all of your sins away at the cross. Now that is a leader that I can follow. A leader that gives me grace and he leads by grace on the cross. A leader that has shown me as a pastor that although I'm not perfect and the people that I'm working with aren't perfect, we can live in the protection of grace with one another. That there's nothing that you can do that's not going to hurt me. And there's nothing I'm going to do that's going to hurt you because we both have the cross in our life. Martin Luther King Jr. said, When the church is true to its nature, it says, Whosoever will, let him come. And it does not propose to satisfy the perverted uses of the drum major instinct. It's the one place where everybody should be the same, standing before a common master and savior. And a recognition grows out of this, that all men are brothers because they 
are all children of a common Father. And it's grace that forgives you, and it's grace that empowers you to follow and to lead. Because grace does this. It takes you from that position in the, with the driver's wheel, and it pushes you over into the passenger seat, and it puts Jesus right back in its place. The closing verses say this, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius, that's a different D name, this is a different man now that we're speaking about, is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth himself. We also speak well of him and you know that our testimony is true. Um, the, the interesting thing here is that Demetrius is a leader that's well spoke of, spoken of because he himself has been put in the passenger seat and Jesus is in the driver's seat. And he's following and following makes you the greatest leader that there is. Um, I was reading a Christmas devotional this last December that really reminded me about the power of following Jesus and how following actually makes you greater. Uh, The distance between the earth to the sun is 92 million miles. 92 million miles. That's um, incredible, but if you imagine that, the distance to the uh, earth to the sun is the width of one piece of paper just one piece of paper, that means that the distance between the earth and the next star is a stack of papers seven feet high. Whoa. The width of our galaxy would be over 300 miles high of paper. That's how big our our galaxy is. Now, scientists and astrologers today say that there are more galaxies that we can even count in the observable universe. They say that it's something like 100 billion galaxies out there, which is their way of saying that we have no idea, but we're taking a wild guess at it. Now, if it's true, what Hebrews 1.3 says, that Jesus holds together the whole universe with one powerful word. In other words, he holds it together with his pinky. Is that the sort of person that you ask to be your assistant? Yes or no? No. What sort of person do you ask that, that person to be? Your leader. Jesus, you've given my, your life to me. Jesus, you have the whole universe in control. Jesus, I, I, I can hand over the wheel to you? Yeah, you can because you can trust him. He loves you. He forgives you. And he has the whole world held together with the power of his one word. And if you begin to make the connections in your life, it's the interesting thing about faith. If that's true, I don't have to worry about where I'm going tomorrow. I don't have to worry about the sins in my past because he says they're forgiven. I don't have to worry about food on my table because he says he's going to take care of it. I don't have to worry about my job prospects or my school or anything like that because he has it all under control. Jesus, take the wheel. I'm taking the passenger seat. It equips you to be the best leader you can be because now you're not the boss, and he is. And instead of taking the driver's seat, you take the passenger seat, and you live your life rolling down the window and saying, hey, come along, come along. There's this great driver here. He forgives you, and he loves you. Do you want to make Jesus your leader, yes or no? Okay, I'll ask it again. Do you want to make Jesus your leader, yes or no? Thank you. Okay, you said yes. We're going to do this. We're going to do it right now. Are you ready? Let's do it. Okay, we're going to go and uh, make Jesus our leader. We read this before, so you should have it memorized. (laughs) Read the group, and I'll read the leader, okay? 
to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you believe that, what you just read? Because if you do, connect the dots. Do you believe that God has put a spiritual leader in your life, a pastor, a teacher, a parent? Um, do you believe that that spiritual leader that, they've, that God has put in your life is there as a servant and not as a diatrophies? As a servant, not to himself, but a servant to the apostles' teaching, the evangelists' teachings, the teachings of the prophets, that puts himself underneath the word of God and says, God, lead me as a leader. Do you believe that? And do you believe that that same leader, spiritual leader, would actually dare to challenge you, to equip you, to say you have a special spot in God's kingdom and you have a special gift that I want you to use to show hospitality to strangers, to, to um, love one another that are in need. Right now we have a care team that's starting up. Uh, just a couple of people, and there's actually, you know, Jesse, you are part of this too, that said I, we need to start getting meals to the people that are, uh, under, under, uh, that are in need, that are having babies, that are new to the congregation, that have a funeral. We need to start caring for these people, and we need to start doing it intentionally. And that's what I'm talking about, is the way that we equip one another is actually showing the hospitality that God says all along. That's what believers do, because believers aren't the drum major instinct out in front of everybody else, but they're actually the servant of all, and that's what makes them the greatest, is that they have Jesus in the front seat, in the driver's seat. Okay, you want to get personal now? Okay, men, let's read it. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy and cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So husbands and boyfriends and uh, fiancés and future boyfriends, husbands and fiancés, single people. Um, I'm asking this specifically to you who are thinking about marriage or are married. Do you understand that Christ has made you to be in your family a Christ-like figure to your spouse and to your kids and to whoever else God will put into your family that he blesses you with? That he's made you to be a man of God that doesn't objectify women, but actually to see women through the eyes of Jesus, to look at a woman with pure eyes and to say, I'm going to be Christ, not getting things from her, but I'm going to give my life to her through my service, through my listening, through my communication, through, through, through my loving decisions. And men, my decisions aren't my own because I'm not a diatrophies in my home. My decisions that I make are with Jesus in the front seat, in the driver's seat, that has the best things and the best intents for my wife. Men, do you believe that? Yes or no? Yes. Yes, you do. And that means that you have grace in your life. Okay, you think you know what's coming next? Okay, women, ready to read it? Women, read this one for us, please.
Wives, do you believe that your husband is not the greatest man to walk this earth? Yes or no? (laughs) Okay, that one's easy. He is not. And that's why this is the most difficult command, isn't it? God calls the men in your lives to do something that really they cannot do on this side of heaven. And that is to be Christ in your life and everything that they think, say, and do. But to be but to be transformed by the love of God and by grace means this, that you're going to take the, you're going to take the Demetrius-like, the guy that was later on, you're going to take the John-like role, you're going to take the Christ-like role that says, although they're not perfect, I'm going to give my life to them, devoted to them in utter respect. Not a kind of a pantering respect that, that, that a husband might, a bad husband might, think she needs to to do everything that I say, but a man that's truly a a godly man, a man that's truly following Christ, would would say, I love you with my whole life, and that woman says, and I respect you, and you don't even know how many great men that you've made. In fact, behind every great man is what? A greater woman. And that's true. Paul says that about Timothy. He says that his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois were the most influential people in his life. But that's the Christ-like role that he's created for you. That's the Christ-like role that he's made in a marriage. I use this as an example. Now, if you're single and you're looking at these passages and you're saying, that's not for me, uh-uh. I'm not thinking about submitting myself to another human being for the rest of my life and serving them that way. That's not unchristian to say that. If you're a man that says, I don't know if I have it in me to give that all over into a woman, or if you're a woman that says, I don't think I can submit myself to a, a, a human a human being that's imperfect, Paul says that's okay. First Corinthians says, in fact, Paul says that's even better in this end time that you don't have these um, other kind of relationships that you have to commit yourself to. But he says, I wish every person were like I were. Now, if you're married, you're staying married. But I'm thinking, I'm challenging you if you're single. I'm challenging you if you're listening to this and you're dating or engaged and you're about to make that marriage vow. It's, it's, it's so serious, but it's, it's also so freeing to know that not everybody has to be married and you can be completely content because whether you're married or whether you're not married, who's in the driver's seat? Jesus. Make him your bride. Make him your leader. Make him your groom. Make him the one that you are devoted to first and let all of the other relationships after that flourish because you aren't the drum major, and you aren't the diatrophies. You're a forgiven daughter. You're a forgiven son of the great God that gave his life for you. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, thank you for this series on 2nd and 3rd John, and help us to follow you with more earnest hearts, to desire truth in the ways that you have put them into our lives, in the way that you've designed us, And help us to be heralds of this good news to the whole world. And help us to follow with greatness that puts ourselves aside and puts you first. Because you made us the apple of your eye and died and shed your blood to cover us. Forgive us and give us eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.